so I just want to thank you both for being here. Ivan, um, who's both the leader at Ministerium, who's a Bridge Alliance member, also the pastor of First Baptist Church of, of North Indianapolis. I just want to say welcome here. And to my good friend, Pierce Godwin, who is the co-founder and president of Listen First Project and the Listen First Coalition, an organization that has about three, over 300 bridging organizations uh, in the nation. And we came together today to talk about censorship and critical race theory. And so uh, I, I wanted to start us off with this, just this little joke, and that is that a Baptist minister, Baptist parishioner, and a lapsed Baptist walk into a bar. There's got to be a joke in that somewhere, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, part of why I wanted to get the two of you together and do this kind of recorded conversation. Yes, sir? What was the joke? They just walked into the bar? Yeah, they walked, the Baptist walking into a bar? Yeah, she, there was no end to the joke. She's just saying it's a setup. Yeah, but a, a joke has to have a punchline. Okay, give me a punchline for that one, Ivan. I don't know. I don't know. When they walk into the bar and, and I don't know, something, but they can't just be they walk into a bar. <laughs> well, I, it's so funny that you say that because I walked into the next room and, and, I, and I said the same thing to Sam. And I said, here's the setup. There has to be a joke in there somewhere, right? And he started laughing and he goes, and I was like, well, what's, what's the line? What? And he goes, no, that is the line. Okay. No, that's, a, that's just a setup. That's just a setup. <laughs> All right. So three, three Baptists walk into a bar. <laughs> what's the first thing they say? Ivan. Give me some man of shepherds. I don't know. <laughs> Pierce, do you have any clue what they say? And where's the casserole? Uh, I'm, I'm thinking. I'm thinking like Fellowship Hall, pop right, right. Everybody's supposed to be bringing the food. Uh, where, where's the buffet line? And me, the lapsed Baptist, I'll just say, uh, "Can I have a Cosmo?" <laughs> <laughs> With a splash of Manish Evans. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right. All right. Set up over. My joke flopped. Uh, so anyway, what what brought us to this call? Uh, is that over the last, I want to say, seven to 10 days, I have had multiple uh, extended text conversations, email threads, and then live you know, phone conversations with people around this topic of censorship and critical race theory. And part of, of this, I wrote into an op-ed or into an editorial piece that was in the Fulcrum and published on uh, Wednesday, the 2nd of February, talking about how we really, really fall in love with our own opinions and our belief systems. And to the extent that we want to censor out other voices or alternate points of view and why that is. And this to me is, is integrally linked with critical race theory because it is about, it has come to mean what history do we teach our kids? And that is, is a big conversation. And then over last weekend, of course, Pierce Braver Angels did a bridging podcast where they were really trying to bridge and understand some of the folks that participated in the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol and corrected, do, did some corrections of misstatements in real time. And at this end, had their videos censored off of YouTube and taken down, which caused some like, oh, my God, how are we supposed to do this bridging work if we can't have content um, that is shared broadly? So that's the, the, the impetus for our conversation here today. And Ivan, I know you've been working really hard in Indiana with the state legislature fighting against the 
the legislation that's going to prevent history, the whole history from being taught in schools, which is what their code is for uh, outlawing critical race theory. And so I just wanted to set up that conversation and have us talk a little bit about censorship in, in broad terms, critical race theory specifically. And uh, let's see where the conversation goes today. So Ivan, I want to start with you and just say, like, can you say, give us a little more context? I did a broad overview. Provide more context on what's happening in Indiana. And well, I, think, I think you said 26 other states. Right. Well, exact, exactly. The, in the midst of legislation advancing that redistricts, that changes lines, gerrymanders, there are a lot of voting rights laws that are seeking to be enacted right now. But while all of that is going on, which is enough, there is now the notion that critical race theory uh, needs to be combated. This notion came from an executive order uh, from then President Trump, who banned what he called critical race theory. And that same language has been pushed by those that push language to state legislators. And now some say 17, but I think it's really 26 states, half of the states in the United States now have this type of legislation that is either being considered or will be considered when in session. Uh, the notion is that people, kids are made to feel uncomfortable because they have to examine the notion of race. They have to consider in some instruction, in some design curriculums even, they have to consider the painful past. And it is thought by some to be unnecessary to consider the painful past uh, so that uh, children will not be um, emotionally distraught or they will have to confront problems that will cause them to feel un uncomfortable. Right. And so the uncomfort of police dogs and fire hoses, the uncomfort of chattel slavery, the uncomfort of a middle passage, the uncomfort of a Holocaust and ovens where people were burned. Uh, all of those things in world history and in even American history, those things are all uh, exed off of and in very deliberate ways uh, taken out of the teaching that has to be provided if we are to spawn the global leaders in this global community that is emerging. We have to be able to talk about the truth. And so we see anti-truth mm -hmm. legislation that uh, is floating throughout the entire country right now, seemingly, that, that says that we should not and cannot and when I say cannot, there are teachers and principals that have been fired. There are librarians, um, school districts that are under the threat of lawsuits. There is a governor of Virginia that as one of his first acts a week ago, he determined that he was going to ban critical race theory. Mm -hmm. In essence, saying that we are not going to talk about race. We're not going to talk about anything that makes people feel uncomfortable. Unfortunately, the history of most people, right, is that we go through ups and downs. Uh, we look at the Bible, um, there's a deuteromistic cycle. It means that we sin and then we are then punished and then we repent and then we sin again and over and over again, no matter where you put your finger down in the 
uh, Old Testament, you will see that we are somewhere in that deuteromistic cycle so that there's pain that then needs to be overcome so that we can be restored. And that is what is threatened right now. It, it, it is the notion that uh, that we are a homogenous group that has never gone through anything will lead to students that don't understand uh, from one side the pain and the horror that has led to some social realities. There are residual effects of years of slavery, free labor. There are residual effects that lead to disenfranchisement and that lead to social realities that we're facing right now. And if we don't talk about those things, then that that does not help us mm-hmm. to explain where we are right now in the number of right, ways. right, yeah, and well, and it, and it occurs to me, and here's I'm about to come over to you. Uh, it occurs to me that what you're talking about is the discomfort of human cruelty, like acknowledging the human cruelty that has that has forever been part of human history, and by failing to to allow it to be taught, we we also fail then to learn from those mistakes. You learn from the good and the bad. Right. The positive experiences and the negative experiences you have had in your life have Mm -hmm. led you to be what you are today. And if it's that way with the individual, certainly with cultures and with the American community that in this culturally polarizing time needs to come together and understand where we come from and celebrate where everybody comes from. That's what leads then us Mm -hmm. to be the, the community that we need to be. Yeah. And, and so Pierce, I'm going to come over to you because I know that part of what happened in that Braver Angels podcast that was taken down was that they were attempting to find a point of compassion and empathy. And others have tried this before too, with a very conservative group that feels like cruelty has been delivered to their group as well. And so I, I just want, I want to like make sure it's, this is not a both sides argument necessarily. It's just that human cruelty is everywhere. And we and and that's something that I think uh, we need to look for and and get it and root it out wherever it is, especially in our own hearts. But um, you've also had some some other experiences around censorship and being able to feel comfortable speaking your mind. And I wonder if you could speak to some of that. Sure, sure. And Ivan, so I appreciate you sharing your perspective um, and sadly, you know, the issue of race and our history of race and how we teach our children about that history, uh, the good, the bad, the very ugly is one of many um, issues in our national conversation today that have become the political football in us running for our own corners um, and listening to those in our own tribes. And and like any issue, it, it can become one of blaming and shaming uh, which I would you know, pretend uh, is not helpful. But as a general principle, as Ivan was suggesting, I think the more perspectives we're hearing from, the more stories, the more truth, the more uncomfortable uh, we make ourselves by exposing ourselves at an appropriate age. I understand this is a very nuanced um, argument as we consider what's best for our children when, but but certainly agree with uh, Ivan's point that, that we do ourselves no favors by shutting out perspectives um, that are less familiar, less comfortable, um, less agreeable to our own preconceived notions. And I think to your point, Debbie Lynn, and what you wrote, that that aligns perfectly with, with my concerns about the way we're shutting down 
I've been speaking about it from a historical perspective, but also from a present day perspective of not wanting to hear what Ivan or Debbie Lynn or anyone else has to say because it makes me uncomfortable because I think everyone needs to agree with me and see the world the way I do. I think we do ourselves a tremendous detriment intellectually, emotionally, in terms of our perspective of um, ourselves, our communities, our state, our country, the world, when we shut down those perspectives. So, you know, a lot of the seemingly, you know, hair trigger, sometimes circular firing squad reactions these days to silence voices we disagree with, to cancel, as many people say it, to ostracize those voices uh, is deeply troubling to me. I I think uh, the Supreme Court has made clear you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. So obviously there are limits um, and reasonable bounds that a society can navigate together. But I absolutely think in general, we have all on And I am going to be both sides because I think across the board, we've gotten far too comfortable and quick to say, oh, no, 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 that voice is not allowed. That perspective is not allowed. It's beyond the pale. That person is unworthy of my listening ear because of what they believe. I think that's incredibly dangerous. I think it runs in the face of the kind of free expression and and free speech that are tenants um, of this country. And, and again, that for us as individuals, we're going to be enriched by grappling with people unlike ourselves, by grappling with uncomfortable history, and to Ivan's point, making ourselves better, helping ourselves to better understand those unlike us, and thus figure out how to navigate this country with our fellow Americans, uh, this boat that we are in together. And, and, and so uh, every time when something like that happens, as it happened to Braver Angels, Uh, My initial posture is, where are we drawing this line and are we drawing it too narrowly these days? Yeah. Can you, Pierce, can you speak briefly? I don't know that that Ivan or anybody who ends up watching our our video here actually knows the story of where Listen First Project originated, because that, I think, leads to exactly into where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. You know, my story is kind of an extreme example of what uh, I know Ivan and Debbie Lynn and I would encourage everyone to do, which is step outside of your bubble, Um, expose yourself to to different people, different contexts, different cultures. After working in Washington, D.C. and and political arenas on Capitol Hill and for campaigns on the right, I went over to Uganda, Africa for six months, and that's different than Washington, D.C., and had an incredible blessing and eye-opening experience to be in a place of such incredible abject material poverty, yet this abiding relational and spiritual wealth. And that was incredibly striking uh, to me and and moving and, and inspiring in terms of how I wanted to live my own life, regardless of material circumstances, but crystallized into our relationship, Debbie Lynn, and where we are today, as I looked back across the pond here and what I would be returning to in these United States. Um, I was in the midst of leaving D.C. and coming home here to North Carolina, but was seeing national headlines that here in the most materially prosperous nation in the world, even back in the summer of 2013, we were already at each other's throats. There was this fever pitch of vitriol. So I jotted down some thoughts for mom and a few friends. And next thing I knew, it was in papers across the country and started Listen First Project on the simple idea that can we just listen first to understand each other, to hear those stories, to hear those experiences, to lead with curiosity and empathy. Uh, and then after a few years was, was so troubled by 
marches escalating to murder in Charlottesville that I may listen first my full-time mission and quickly learn that there was somebody in the world named Debbie Lynn Molyneux and a few others who had already dedicated themselves to this business of bringing Americans together across differences. And because I like friends um, and they were all too generous, we started a coalition together, four organizations, and now it's over 400 and seeing how all of us who are concerned about toxic polarization, the way we demonize each other across differences, might have a collective impact greater than any one of us could alone. Thanks, Pierce. Ivan, you have a, a long and storied history as well. How did you come to this work? Oh, um, that's, a, that's a good question. I think there is a, there's a call, if you will, that, that for me was not simply a call to preach or to do priestly things but there's a call to do prophetic things. And so um, when we look at the prophet of old, once again, the Old Testament, when we look, we see that the prophet spoke truth to power. The prophet would speak to the government and about political situations. The prophet as well would speak to their own community and provide a rebuke and guidance and direction and say, this is how God feels about what you're doing and offer some corrective. Then as well, the prophet, if we observe correctly, fielded cases. People in the Bible would come to the prophet and say, impoverished. They would say, I'm in a bad situation. And we see record that prophets vanguarded the causes of widows and children, the most vulnerable among us. And so in discerning my call early on, I certainly knew that it was my responsibility to equip myself so that I could execute when it comes to fighting for those that cannot easily fight for themselves or liberating those that are oppressed. There's a guy named Jesus. The first time he spoke in Luke, he said that the spirit of the Lord is upon me to bring liberation to those that are oppressed. And so from the prophetic mantle to personal obligation, even pedagogy, that which is employed is employed in order to bring relief to those that need relief and help and hope uh, to those that have been disenfranchised. So that was the macro answer to that question. <laughs> thank, thank you, Ivan. Well, I, I thought of you actually in, I, I take a Buddhist meditation class and in my class last night uh, in learning you know, a little bit more about the history of, of the Buddhists, they, they were actually talking about like the first 500 years of Buddhist, Buddhism as a practice was spent on working on self, you know, so obviously, you know, collective individuals over time working on them, themselves to liberate their minds. And the minute that, that those words came out of, of my uh, teacher's mouth, I was like, holy cow, this is so connected into what I hear from you, Ivan, about, uh, you know, self-liberation. Yeah, and and conceptual incarceration. If we want to, if we want to go back to the critical race theory objective of our conversation on today, that concepts have been locked up, or they are attempting to to lock up concepts that are held away from the minds of of children, from the minds of those that would seek to learn. It is a common practice of assimilation to to say, look, let me teach you my language, let teach you my literature, let me teach you my philosophy, let me get you to serve my God, small G or big G. And so these are these are avenues to to try to get 
people to all be the same. And unfortunately for some, that's not the way God designed it. God designed us to be different with different uh, DNAs, with different fingerprints. We can do a retina scan right now and you can identify people. And so I, I believe God got it right. And that, that out of one blood, he has created us all. If we go back, you know, 50 million years ago in Africa, there's someone bones from Lucy, right? But out of that, that cradle of civilization, you can, you can trace where people have gone and you can understand, and this is probably that critical race theory, that, that you can understand from Africa when people went to Europe, that's when their hair came down over their ears and their noses became small because they had to deal with that environment. When people went to different locations, they, they started to look differently and different cultures started to emerge. And so our task then is to ensure that we appreciate and we learn from everybody's culture. If we appreciate and learn from everybody's culture and demystify culture, then that's when people have an opportunity to have aha moments and to see the greatness in everybody else. And that's what allows us then to be free to imagine and to create and to think outside of the box and to ideate in such a way that that we have an opportunity to to embrace one another and learn from one another that's when we start spawning the global leaders that are necessary the way to keep us back and to hold us back is to conceptually incarcerate to to engage in uh, intellectual apartheid that that allows then one culture to be seen as the only culture and if a culture is seen as the only culture then certainly they're the dominant culture or the best culture or the superior culture. Yeah. Whatever that type of, all of those words, very dangerous thinking. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, um, you know, Pierce, one of the things that I I just wonder, like, do you have a feedback on what, what Ivan is sharing and, and, or even a, a different perspective on it? You know, as I listened to Ivan speak, I was, uh, struck by the insight you had in bringing us together, Debulan, and the connective tissue between these different, not divergent, but just kind of different challenging issues we're dealing with in America right now. The issue of some of our brothers and sisters feeling that their history is being silenced and others feeling like culture has raced past them and their current present day views, perspective, values are being silenced and shut out. And I think that's not, that doesn't feel good to anybody. Um, and as one of my partners uh, on one of our projects has been saying recently, you know, I like, you know, flowery words and talking points. And, um, and my friend Gary has said, you know, people don't feel real good right now and they want to feel better. And perhaps if we come together and spend some time and see that humanity as fellow Americans, we'll feel better. And maybe it is that simple that uh, we are all in our own way, certainly many of the communities that come to mind are feeling marginalized, are feeling silenced, are feeling ignored, are feeling devalued, are feeling like their dignity is not seen, their humanity is not seen. And that can manifest in so many different ways. You, you have me here because of a conversation we had in light of views from the right being silenced. And, and Ivan here speaking uh, beautifully to histories 
and and identities and character and the evolution, non-biologically speaking, of one of our, you know, of such an important community and in our Black and African-American brothers and sisters in this country. I love, Ivan, your words about appreciate and learn. That's it, right? Uh, appreciate your humanity. Be curious. I mean, when, when we do these large-scale events, be it America Talks, National Week of Conversation, uh, I've, I've really come to love the three basic conversation agreements that we came up with last year and are going to use again and going forward. Listen with curiosity, speak from your own experience and connect with respect. And, and when I'm curious about Ivan's story, and I think that an, an important kind of spectrum we have here is individual to communal. So whereas, uh, you know, some of us may be more concerned about our individual voices, our individual values, feeling disallowed, feeling canceled. Ivan is reminding us that the story and the perspective and, and, and the history that we may carry around as a particular community within these United States is equally critical and important if I'm going to um, have any hope of understanding who Ivan is, of understanding how he walks around as my fellow American. And he talked about you know, demystifying, which reminded me of just how scary and uncomfortable it can be for any of us. You know, I'm weird. Devlin's definitely weird um, in thinking that coming together and in having these conversations is riveting. Uh, but for so many of us, for very good, valid reasons, that is downright terrifying these days because we're so damn mean to each other because well, we're shutting each other down. And, I, and, and speak a little bit, too, because, you know, one of the reasons that it is so hard to have conservatives is kind of come into some of the, the bridging conversations that we're talking about is not only their fear of being ostracized or that there's a Trojan horse liberal agenda, but there's also a, a fear of being rejected then by their group. Yes. Can you yes. can you speak to that a little bit? Uh, absolutely. Um, and, and I think we see it, you know, especially with, with my fellow conservatives, but across the board now as we're defining our tribes more narrowly and narrowly and finding our belonging in those increasingly narrow identity groups and punishing and censuring or censoring either way, anybody who dare step out of line, there's a lot at risk. And, and you know, we've learned from our, from our friends in this space who are much smarter than I am, that those are our most innate instincts as human beings is to crave belonging, is to fear rejection, is to fear rejection from our own group, fear threat from another group. And, and, and so to your point though, Debbie Lynn, it's not only that rejection from the other, it's rejection from my own tribe in which I'm finding such belonging because I dare go and speak to them, those people who are the threat who are the enemy. And when everything is in that binary, we can feel stuck. And we can also, I think we see in, in many instances, believe things and kind of go along with things that eh, maybe that doesn't feel quite right. But you know what? I'd rather have a team than not have a team. So I'm going to go and I'm going to run with, with that evolving belief system, uh, no matter what it may be. So yes, you know, my fellow conservatives, I think are very right rightly concerned about coming to some of these tables because all of us, but I do want to validate, you know, the, the view of the conservative being shouted down, being told that their views are not valid, being called names, uh, being ostracized and, and mistreated by, by others in the public square, just as other 
you know, communities and individuals have on, on the, I love how Ivan put it, that that over history, we all have ups and downs, goodness and bad, sin and 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 glory and redemption. And and to to try to in any way diminish that and, and silence any of that history or any of that story is painful. Nobody mm-hmm. wants to be uh, rejected. Um, and that's what you know people can fear from those they engage in conversation and for their own group, just for having the courage to have that conversation. Because yeah. silencing, you know, last point, I think shutting down voices we don't like is easy, right? But it's listening and finding a way forward through differences that's noble and courageous. And honestly, every day it takes more and more nobility and courage because of just how harsh we've become to one another. Yeah, and Ivan, I suspect that you've had a lot of these same experiences, similar experiences? Uh, Certainly. You know, when it comes to internal community issues, uh, everybody does not understand. And I think that once again, it it goes to the mantle of the prophet that, that there are responsibilities that perhaps one who seeks to stand in a prophetic role, uh, there are things that they are tasked with accomplishing. What I hear a lot of times, because this is not my first rodeo, it's not my first issue. And so what I, I've heard down through the years <clears throat> is that, that while you are pressing and concerned about liberation, we're concerned about survival. And so the engagement in political processes, the vanguard of particular causes, those things are sometimes reserved to those that have the luxury and can afford the time to work on these issues while the masses are concerned with, at least in my community, how to feed your child and how to hold down the job and how to manage with meager resources life. And so those survival skills are necessary and the notion of survival trumps the notion of liberation or these political fights that we wind up in. And so for me, that that's why it's extremely important for us to stay on the wall, if you will, and to, to be diligent and to, and to be strategic about forming the necessary relationships. That is, that is a great reason for us to have the Bridge Alliance and for us to have an opportunity to, to listen. Uh, it's important for us to hear one another and and practice active listening so that I'm not just hearing what you say, but but then let me repeat back to you what you have said so that I'm clear. I understand what you said. Now that I'm clear that you have said this, I can respond to that intelligently and with the necessary empathy um, and respect that is necessary in order for us to have to have conversations. A lot of times in our individual relationships, we get into an argument with one another. And as I am uh, listening to you, I am already in my mind trying to figure out how I'm going to come back to combat a little piece of what you said. And we do that in, in politics. We do that in the panel discussions that are easily available for us. All we have to do is go on any social media platform and we can p- find a panel discussion on anything. It's the thing of the pandemic, right? But but even in those discussions, if we are not clear that we are going to listen to one another and then reshape or to regurgitate it in such a way that 
everybody understands that you understand. If we don't reach a point of understanding and we're just trying to create sound bites to go back and forth, or I'm trying to figure out a way to hurt you, or you're trying to figure out a way to hurt me, or I'm trying to figure out a way to diminish your position, and you're trying to figure out a way to diminish my position, then we have never heard one another for real. We've never had then a genuine conversation that can allow for progress and can allow for hope. And so I, I think that's what's so important right now that the ministerium, we were founded uh, with four bald headed, everybody's not bald, but we all look the same around the same age. Everybody looked like me. But we initially said when we, the four of us got together, that in order for us to be effective at the state house and in order for us to be effective at anything, we're going to have to create a group that is more diverse, which means that we need to go across party lines and really any line that seeks to divide us and include in our coalition anybody that can agree that it is important for us to fight for those that can't easily fight for themselves. Mm -hmm. And that means some strange political bedfellows. That means that we will seek annexation and alliance with organizations that will cause people to scratch their head and wonder how did they get together. But it is through concerned and genuine conversation and intentional communication that we can hope to then release a new creative imagination for tomorrow. Thank you so much, Ivan. I, ha I have a way to kind of close us out here, but I wanna make sure that you both have said your piece. If there's anything left unsaid, say it now. Okay, opportunity over. Um, <laughs> One of the things that I that that had has occurred to me, and this may spur a little bit more conversation, but in the last, I think it's only really been in the last 50 to 70 years that the the white centric culture in which we live has become aware of the cost of disallowing other historical records to be part of the mainstream. Mm -hmm. And we really haven't had the courage to consider the that our ancestors may not be the heroes you know, and I'm speaking now as just as a white woman, that our ancestors were not the heroes we were taught they were. And what I really have been fascinated to learn and, and why I want the whole history of our country to be taught to our kids from the beginning is because we, could, we can learn so much from the strength and tenacity of people who have held onto their culture through these subsequent generations and despite the multiple attempts at assimilation for the sake of a supposedly social cohesion, I actually think it's for the sake of dominant culture. And I would suggest that what we need to assimilate around is this idea of shared humanity. And we need to appreciate our cultural dissimilarities and share our customs instead of judging them harshly because they're not our own. And if we could share and, and assimilate around our shared humanity and a core set of ideals like the rule of law, we would then have the liberation, the freedom to go and explore and learn and experience something which feels foreign or different or uncomfortable at the same time our own culture is honored and preserved. And that I just want to like set out as like my hope for the future of what conversations like this will lead us towards. So... Unless you have any final words or responses, I'll just say thank you for, for joining us here today. 
I think you're exactly right, Debbie Lynn, that, that finding and seeing that shared humanity in each other is the key. Because when we're doing that, we all as individuals and in, as communities mm-hmm. will feel belonging. We'll feel like we have a place of dignity in the future while recognizing and learning from the past while understanding our differences that persist today. We appreciate humanity. We appreciate that, that we are fellow Americans and that we got to find a way forward together. Yeah. And, and there's so much that we have. There are ties that bind us together. If we look back at culture, if we look at language, the etymological derivation of the words, if you ever see a word and they say that it's, their origin is unknown, then go back to the metanature, go back to Egyptian hieroglyphics, and you will discover that if you get past the Slavic and get past modern languages, that it's based in that. Uh, when it comes to culture, even our religious history, right? Many of the same stories, the big fish story and, you know, Jonah, we find in, in the Bible, but they're big fish stories, Islam and Judaism, right? There's a big fish story then before that in Kemet in Africa. And so if we start to appreciate those things, we, we look at balance, you know, you look from the metanature, from Egyptian hieroglyphics at the goddess Mayat, there was a scale and, and what balance meant in ancient Egypt. But then you also look, if you want to look, you can look, and you talked about Buddhism earlier. That's a, it's an Asian concept, which deals with balance. The Aztec people, if you dig into their history, you'll determine that balance is very much a part of what they teach and what they believe. And so all over the globe, you see the notion of of the importance of balance. And I think that's what we're calling for right now. We're not calling for the, the history of one culture to be dominant, but we are calling for a balanced approach to our understanding of culture, our understanding of history, because if we understand everybody's history, we see where we are in that history and certainly we have discovered that children learn best when they see themselves in the lessons they're being taught. And if we know that to be the case, we can celebrate that, but we have to go beyond simply appreciating our own culture. We have to learn how to appreciate everybody's culture. And you can't appreciate my culture unless you understand how little Richard was treated in the formation of rock and roll. Right. You can't understand my culture if you don't understand the horror of slavery or the dogs and the fire hoses of the civil rights movement. You can't understand my history unless you understand what Nelson Mandela had to deal with in South Africa. But you also then in understanding history can appreciate how other cultures have managed to make it. And so we use uh, Nelson Mandela in South Africa. They had a truth and reconciliation commission after apartheid was banned that allowed people to deal with the horrors of their past and the horrors of apartheid. And because they dealt with it, I would venture to say that in terms of race relations and understanding South Africa, even though freedom has not come in, has come most recently, they are farther along when it comes to race relations than we are here in America. And that's seen obviously by this heinous and racist legislation that is being enacted in most of the states of the United States that deals with anti-critical race theory. Well, thank you. I think I'm going to pause there. 
All right. Well, let me just thank you both so much for being here and, and having this uh, challenging and thoughtful conversation today. And may thank we be you. a better nation for it.